So we're starting with verse 17 and then 21, 32 and 36. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I know that towards the end of the service, Andy's going to be leading us in a time of reflection um, on that, but just whilst Andy comes to stage, I'd just like to, to pray for Andy uh, and for ourselves. Father, I thank you for, for Andy, for his, for his leadership. Um, Lord, I pray for, for us now today that you will soften our hearts and that we'll listen uh, to your words, Lord. Um, but perhaps most importantly, we'll, we'll take it with us and, and act upon it. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning and uh, another warm welcome to everyone. Um, probably it's been a, a tragic set of days that we've been living in and probably every one of us has been captivated um, and horrified by the fire uh, in London at Grenfell Tower, uh, the horrendous tragedy um, and so probably avoidable uh, in, in many ways. Uh, the evacuation of, of many people, um, many who fortunately survived, but even the nearby towers that have been evacuated, and now we hear of people right across uh, the city and even cities uh, being moved from tower blocks, um, from nearby homes. And uh, there's the loss of that, and there's the anger of that, and there's the questions that come from that. The, you know, the quick response of the community, which was amazing, and yet the seemingly uh, slow response from the council that we've, we've, we hear about. Um, one man was interviewed just this week, and. On one hand, he was hugely thankful that he'd survived, um, but he found himself in this little hotel room, and the hotel was now fully booked, so he had to move on out of that situation. 
And he was just really struggling, having survived on one hand, and yet not having a home in which to grieve with, with his family uh, and with his friends. And just the struggle of that, just one week on. And yet how important it is, um, as we've seen here, for, for people to have a home. It's such an important part of our lives, a real home. A home is a place of safety. Okay? A home is a place of peace. You know, a home is a place where you can just be yourself. You can be loved, you can be accepted, you can just be who you are in that situation. And whether that's your experience or not, that's probably what we all long for deep down uh, in our lives, uh, a home. And according to the Bible, a home is a place where, where life flourishes fully. Um, it's a place where we can spiritually, physically, and emotionally, socially find that well-being, if you like. It's a place where physical life and health is sustained when we have our, our meals. It's a place where our most intimate love relationships are nurtured. It's a place of rest. It's a place uh, of well-being for every one of us. But the story of the human race however, is one of exile. It's one of longing to come back home. And we live in a world where death and disease has distorted and defaced God's good original uh, creation. We see a society that is filled with selfishness and with self-exaltation and pride. We see exploitation and violence in a world that mars and ruins human community. And the world as it now exists actually is not our real home. It is not our true home. We were made for a place where there isn't death, where there isn't the loss of loved ones, where there isn't disease and aging. And therefore we find ourselves in a world where we are, we are like refugees in a sense. We're exiles, we're aliens uh, in the world in which we find ourselves. And so we ask the question, why? Why is, why is it like it is? And we discover it is because human beings have turned themselves. We've turned our lives away from God to live for itself. Our first parents, uh, we read of in here, um, had a true home in the garden of God himself, uh, the garden of Eden, where he walked with them, it says, in the cool of the day. What a, what a lovely phrase that is, to walk with God in the cool of the day. But they turned away from him, um, as we all have, and we find ourselves banished from God's presence uh, and banished from our true home. We're alienated from God. Um, we're, we're alienated from our true selves, from one another, and even the, the environment we find ourselves in. And the question is, can we be brought home? Can creation be healed and restored? Can death and decay be overcome? Huge questions, you might think. Let me take you back to November 1922, when uh, Tutankhamun's um, that amazing uh, tomb was discovered by uh, ha uh, Howard Carter, the great adventurer and archaeologist. This is classic Indiana Jones kind of story. And it, him and his companion are down in Egypt in the Valley of the Kings, and they come across, as they're looking for these tombs, this amazing one. And as he looks in, his, uh, his colleague, Lord Carnarvon, calls across and says, can you see anything? And his reply as he looks into this, this uh, cavern, he says, he says, yes, wonderful things, wonderful things. And when we, when we look, he actually writes in his journal, he says, our sensations and astonishment were difficult to describe because they saw such wonderful things. And as I've encountered the God of the Bible, I've discovered wonderful things. Wonderful things. As we look at this chapter in the book of Acts, we read about wonderful things. Acts 2 verse 11 says that the people from all over the world heard them declaring the wonders of God. So what are some of these wonderful things? I think I've got some pictures up here. 
one or two. What are these wonderful things? Well, the first is that God has a plan through his son. It is an astonishing cosmic plan for the whole of humankind. Verse 23, speaking of Jesus, it said that the man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. But that you, the people of Jerusalem, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has got a plan through his son. He's always had a plan. And the prophets of old, even in verse 31, it says that they saw, seeing what was to come, they saw what was going to come ahead, that it was revealed even before it happened. And here's what the plan is. Jesus, God himself, leaves heaven. He leaves his home and comes to this planet, to this earth. His pregnant mother, Mary, through whom he was born, is forced out of her home to travel 70 miles on the back of a donkey to live and and give birth in a stable uh, because there's no room anywhere. He leaves his parents' home and lives in squalor. And as a man, as he grows up, he walks this world and it says there's no place for him to lay his head. He has no home. Um, and he finally is crucified outside of the city gate as an exile, as, a, as someone who is rejected and experiences that rejection in our place. He takes our place, that place of homelessness, that place of alienation, that place of rejection, that place of being forsaken by God, um, as it says. What we deserve, he takes. He is cast out so that we can be brought home. And when Jesus rises from the dead, He breaks the power of death. How amazing is that, if we can get our heads around that? In a world where we see the horror of death, somehow Jesus has broken the power of death and he becomes the living foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth of things that will one day will be. When he comes back to reconcile all things, make everything right again with true justice um, in our world and to remake the world and to bring us home to that garden of God, the garden city of God in Revelation um, that we read of at the very end of the Bible. God has got an astonishing plan to bring each one of us back home, to live life in all of its goodness, and to live life in all of its fullness. And it's possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We can be brought home, our world can be restored and healed, Death and decay can be overcome. Okay, that has got to be a wonderful thing. But not only has God got a plan for these wonderful things, he's also got the means to do it. He has a plan, he's shown us his plan, and he's activated his plan. And secondly, God has, through his spirit, given us the life-giving power to... Um, oops, I'm jumping ahead here. There we go. He releases his power through his spirit to transform our lives. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This plan is for everyone in this world. And verse 38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is another of those wonderful things that we look at with astonishment. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is is just like Jesus was. 
Okay, read about Jesus in the Gospels. He's just like Jesus was, but he's not limited by a human body. He can be anywhere. He can be everywhere. He can live within each one of us. He is the invisible God at work in our world today. And uh, let me take you further back into the Old Testament, thousands of years back, when the people of God were given the Ten Commandments. Um, you may have heard about them, or you may know some of them. The Ten Commandments, the laws to live by. And they were good things because they helped people live with one another in society. And they showed people how to live. But they also, it exposed people's sinfulness. It exposed people's selfishness. And it challenged people's wrongdoing. And just like today, people fell short. People didn't manage. And so these laws became a burden to them. They became a weight around their neck because they just made them feel like they'd failed all the time. And so God says, I'm going to show you something else. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new agreement where it doesn't depend on you anymore. It totally depends on me. And he tells about it in the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, I'm going to put not the law on tablets of stone, but I'm going to write it on people's hearts. I'm going to write it in people's minds. And I'm going to move people by giving them a new heart, giving them a new spirit so that they want to live the way that they were designed to live. Um, I've done a lot of hiking in my life and uh, hacking up Scottish mountains usually. And uh, when you do that, what happens is you get a rucksack and you fill it with food. That's my strategy anyway. You fill it with Mars bars, hot sweet tea, lots of sandwiches, just anything edible basically goes in the rucksack. And then you hack up some 3,000 foot mountain. And you're sitting there after about an hour thinking, why did I bring so much stuff? Okay, this is heavy, this is hard work. Um, this is a burden on my back. But when you get to the top, when you get to lunchtime, it's time to open the rucksack and you get the Mars bars out, the sandwiches out, the hot tea, all the rest of it. And what was, what was a burden on your back now becomes energy within you for the rest of the day's walking. And it's a little bit like that. that God wants to say, I don't want these to be a burden on your back. I want to write these things in your heart and I'm going to do it by the Spirit of God. I'm going to put something of my very nature into you so that you want to live in a way that reflects um, all that this is about. How amazing is that? Not only does God have a plan for our world and for our lives to flourish fully and to find our true home, not only does he activate it through Jesus' death and resurrection, but he will empower us and pour out on us and fill us with his own spirit to move us to deeply want to live in that way and to be part of his transformational plan that changes the world in which we live in to be part of that, to experience it, and to contribute to that. And the Spirit of God does a number of things in transforming um, our lives. First of all, he, he testifies. God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. This is so it's not just head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge. You know, um, you know little Joshua there, hopefully he won't need to read a book to find out if his parents love him. He will know that his parents love him because it's tangible in their lives, okay? They express it through their words, they express it through their care, they express it through their hugs, all of that, okay? He knows, he will grow up knowing he is a child of these guys and that he's loved and accepted. And likewise, that's how God wants it for us. He wants us to know that we're his children. And he wants us to know the hug of God, if you like, in our lives, that we're accepted fully. And he does it by putting his spirit in our lives. It's very relational. The second way that he does is he develops, the Spirit of God develops that relationship. He helps us to pray. 
Um, he starts to, to speak to us as we read this. And this is not just a dry, dusty book, but he starts to speak into my life, into my situations, to make this alive to me, kind of like a personal tutor, if you like. He develops that relationship because it says that we have access to God's presence by his Spirit. The third way that he works and transforms us is by bringing about the family likeness. Okay, now it doesn't mean that you're going to look like God, whatever he looks like, okay, but it does about our character, that we start to reflect the, the characteristics in how we live um, of God. And so it says that he changes our hearts. It says that he grows fruit in our lives, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of kindness, the fruit of goodness, the fruit of self-control, and all the rest. These are the fruits of God's Spirit in our lives. The Spirit of God brings unity because it's one Spirit that is in every single Christian believer. So God only sees one church. He only sees one people group, um, those that have His Spirit. And so whatever country, whatever background uh, you're from, it's God's Spirit that is at work that makes us one people, the unity um, that comes from that. Fifthly, He distributes and energizes gifts in our lives. The Spirit of God gives us special abilities so that we can serve people, we can bless people, that we can build up and encourage people um, in practical ways um, and in verbal ways and in many, many uh, supernatural ways as well. He's there to distribute and empower those gifts. And sixthly, he empowers us to testify um, to others about these wonderful things. As we start a taste of these wonderful things, we then share them with others. We let the world know about them, that there is a reality to this. There's a reality to God's plan. There's a reality to God's purposes. And there's a reality to God's power um, through all that is here. And these are great benchmarks for really testing, is this, is this genuine work of God here? Um, then you'll see all of those things um, at work. But uh, back, um, the end of the story God has a plan, but the end of the story actually comes down to you and I, okay? because there's a response that is required from each one of us. And the first response is towards his son, Jesus, and there's a second response towards his spirit. Firstly, that first response, verse 21, as Tim read, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, or elsewhere, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, will be rescued. And the promise there is for everyone. It is for everyone. It doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter whether you've ever been to church in your life. It matters not. But we do need to call on his name. We do need to recognize that we, we, we want to we be rescued from this decaying world. That actually we want to find our true home in this. And so when Peter preaches to the crowds in Jerusalem, um, he ends in verse 36 by saying, Let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? And so Peter replies um, with four, four kind of key things. He says, repent. He says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt world. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So Peter's response is this, is to accept the message, to believe in this Jesus, to trust him in that what he has done for us, to accept that, it's, that we were not really made 
for this corrupt world, that we really need forgiveness, but that this is possible in what God has done for us through Jesus. The second aspect is to repent, and that is to make a decision to, you, to do a U-turn in life, to do a U-E. I'm heading down this side of the road. I need to do a U-E to come back up the other side of the road. Okay, I'm going in the wrong direction. And to turn myself around and say, I need God's leadership in my life. I need to put things right where I can. I need to confess the wrong where I can't. The third aspect is to be baptized by what in water. And baptism is, a, is a, just an outward sign of an inward transformation. It, it recognizes that God has changed something on the inside. The old me is dead, the new me is alive again. Um, I've been washed clean, as it were, by the water, and there's a new nature within me. Transformation is possible, and that's an important step um, as a believer. And then fourthly, there is receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, the first disciples received the Holy Spirit as they waited and as they prayed that God would empower them. And then they took it out to others and they laid hands on others and they prayed for others that they would receive God's Spirit after they'd believed and repented and normally been baptized in water as well. Acts 2, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and generations to come. And the word receive is not necessarily an automatic word. It doesn't just pop through the letterbox, in a sense. Um, it can mean receive in the sense of to take hold of something or to accept something. So the Greek tense of it, which I don't really want to bore you with, but we don't have it in English, apparently. But it's a tense of fact, and that means it will happen. It means it's a promise. It will happen. Okay? It is promised. But it's also a tense of future and a tense of being active. So we actively take hold of what we not yet have. Um, so when somebody's coming around to your house, you know, perhaps for a meal, they ring the doorbell or they knock on the door, you still have to open the door, okay? And you, you welcome them in. And hopefully you don't just leave them standing in the porch, but you say, no, come right in. Come right in. We're in the living room. Come on through and, uh, and be part of everything here. And so there's, we still have to open the door for God's spirit to come in and welcome him into our lives. But there's an expectancy. You know, when somebody's coming around, you're expecting them. You know, you might be looking out for them. Um, there's a confident anticipation. And then we invite them and we welcome them in. Come in. Don't just stand outside. And so with God's Spirit, we're to ask and we're to welcome and to yield to Him because He comes into our, our home, He comes into our lives, and actually we're saying, I want to follow you. I want you to lead my life. I want you to show me how to live because I look around at the world and I look in my own heart and I realize it's not all right. It could be so much better. Wonderful things as he transforms us. Show me those wonderful things and lead us and make us home. So in response this morning, uh, we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey like little Joshua is into life. Um, but actually, we're all also on a journey to try and find this true life, um, eternal life, as uh, Jesus talked about it. And for some, the next step is simply to accept the message, to at least look into this, to look into some of these wonderful things. It may be to read one of the Gospels, like Luke's Gospel, or to pick up a Christian book like um, Josh McDowell's you know, uh, More Than a Carpenter, looking at Jesus' life, or go on an Alpha course nearby, near you, perhaps. Um, for, then it's to repent, it's to, to turn, to change our mind, and to ask God to forgive us, to put the things that are wrong in my life and to help put things right where we can. 
to take a step perhaps of water baptism, if that's something you've never done and you've um, yet, to be marked as a disciple. And for some, it's to take hold of the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, and maybe you know you've received God's Spirit, and the question for you is less, do I have the Spirit of God? And is more, does the Spirit of God have me? Does the Spirit of God have me? You know, have I yielded fully to him? So let's pray this morning. And uh, just um, together, let's just close our eyes just to honor one another here, just to, for a, a quiet reflect. Um, the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people added to their number. But even this morning, even if it is just for one person, there may just be one person here this morning who recognizes that they, do not, they want to start this journey they want to step towards their real home. And if that's you this morning, here's just a simple prayer that you can silently echo in your own heart. So if that's you, just with our eyes closed now, you can just echo this prayer. Lord God, when I look at this world and hear your words, I realize we were made for something more. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong in word, in thought, and indeed, forgive me for going my own way. Thank you that you have activated your plan of forgiveness and transformation through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, taking my place. Thank you. Please come now and fill me with your spirit and lead my life forwards into all of these wonderful things. Amen.